0: You're listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we firmly believe that love is the answer and we are spreading it like wildfire. You're invited to come spend time with us in authentic connection, growth, reflection, and celebration. Life coach, author, and speaker, Abigail Gazda, will be sharing amazing humans living their hearts unleashed to inspire you to do the same. You will hear from men, women, and young people from all industries, sharing their insights and inspiration as they have paved their way to their fullest lives. Here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. So if you are ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, You are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, you are listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, and I am
1: so excited to bring a new heart to you today. So for those of you who are joining me, Hearts Unleashed, the the mission of just really creating a ripple effect. Of more positivity and love in the world, you're probably familiar that I have a Facebook community called Growing Gratitude. And this is simply where people show up and share their truth and share vulnerably. I'm always in there sharing my gratitude for the growth I have going on. And Sasha Fergoni has showed up in Growing Gratitude sharing so vulnerably. And I'm going to have her share some of her story with you because where she is now is just astonishing. And it's, it's so inspiring to hear her story. But who she is is an empowerment coach with over 30 years experience leading workshops and training programs for cross-cultural groups. She is such a diverse woman and really just brings that to her writing, to her coaching. She's demonstrated ability developing and delivering educational sessions and are in inner child work and present moment consciousness. So the integration of that with a custom designed grounding and visualization experience. Now, if you are someone who's been listening to the Hearts on Leash podcast for a while now. You're really beginning to notice a theme here. It's, uh, it's what I've said from the beginning. It's not about what we do. It's about the way that we're being and who we're being, and the energy work that comes with that. And I see Sasha out there just doing this energy work and really bringing to light things that people normally avoid. Sasha, um, before I bring you in, I just gotta say I love your writing because it's 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 triggering. It's confrontational. It has you read and listen to something that normally people hide out from. So without further ado, I want you to bring that conversation to these hearts here on the Hearts Unleashed podcast. So thank you so much for being here today.
2: Well, Abigail, I am absolutely honored to have been invited to be part of of, of what it is that you're moving towards. (laughs) Much of my life, the world said, was tragic. And for a long time, when I lived in victim mode, my life was tragic, and I was sad, and and I was resentful, and I was angry, and nothing about life seemed fair or okay. And all of a sudden, one day, what I really understood was that my life was a training ground. I was on the front row. I was in. I was in the the, the best seminar that I could ever hope to be in in life. And that was to experience life firsthand on the court because only when you experience life can you truly have that understanding and only in that space of understanding can you reach out to someone else who is going through a trauma one of the things that I discovered was is that there was this amazing strength that had been given to me and what I understand is for all of us that go through all the different experiences that we have, nothing is real. It only seems real in that because we're finite humans and we come to an end and this this vehicle, the body that we move in will eventually die, everything seems real. And the actual truth of it is, it is not. It's merely an experience. So when we are able to just embrace and accept that whatever it is that's happening in this moment is precisely what is supposed to be there and understand that for us, we'll be given, we're given something. And if we can step forward and say, that's what I want, I want whatever the gift is here, it will always show up. And that was the day my life made sense. And that was the day that I couldn't wait for the next moment to arrive. So what started out for me as a baby who was found in a trash can in back of a restaurant in Seoul, Korea, with no future predicted. Today, it's an understanding that each one of those moments were necessary for me to be who I am exactly in this moment right now.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, First off, welcome. Thank you. I feel like you're speaking to like you're sitting on a cloud and speaking to me. <laughs> and what I mean is like I hear the bliss in your voice and this like elevation is so present so- right, right to be quite honest, I'm just sitting here in astonishment to start, but it's so it's such an honor to have you here because you know to share that you were found as a baby in a trash can in Seoul, Korea, like that many stories end there and yes. yours didn't. And so, it, I mean, what a miracle. And and the fact that you've learned whichever way you have, that everything is perfect and nothing means anything and all of that. I'd love for you to just kind of bring up, bring us up to your cloud, <laughs> educate us a bit where, you know, just give us a little bit. Where did this start? How did you get to the moment you're at?
2: I was found in the trash can, and that story was delivered to me from a very cruel place. The uh, my adopted mother had so much trauma that she had experienced in her lifetime, and she was not prepared for the child that they adopted, who would bring, who brought with me all of the things that come from a child who's been abandoned who has starved, who is changing a culture, who's coming to an entirely different country. Mm -hmm. She was not prepared for all of that.
1: Yeah. And which which country did you end up in?
2: I ended up uh, in the United States.
1: Your adopted family, were they Korean?
2: No, they were not, they were German-Americans.
1: Got it, okay, okay. Because I was wondering how you ended up in Korea to how you ended up in America too.
2: That was it. The whole adoption agency was the, uh, and still is, was the primary agency that uh, rescued orphans. And interestingly, I was brought into this family because she became extremely religious. Uh, She had had several deaths and she was dealing with this enormous guilt in life that because she had become this very promiscuous woman and lived a, a, a dreadfully sinful life, that God was punishing her for the rest of her days. And so she had lost several children in childbirth. And so when the church then began sponsoring this orphanage, for her, this was the knocking on the door that said she might be given another opportunity to raise a child. Got it. And I became that first child, only she wanted a baby and by the time the process that they had to go through was two and a half year was about a year and a half i arrived there I was three and a half years old and i wasn't the baby and not only was i not the baby but i couldn't stand to have a woman touch me or pick me up and everything that she had hoped and dreamed for i turned into one more punishment by god at it the entire family was extremely dysfunctional my adopted father began sexually molesting me shortly after I arrived here, Sold me to three other men, and his final goodbye to me was um, on his deathbed. They woke me up in the middle of the night and took me to the hospital for him to tell me that uh, everything that had ever happened was really wrong. It was a sin against God and that he would pray for my soul and hope that I did not burn in hell for what I had brought into their lives. I went from there to running away from home for every opportunity that I could possibly get. My adopted mother told me that everything that had happened in life was my fault. I was the devil's spawn and that all of the evil that had come into their lives had come because of me. I believed that there was no hope for me. I believed that I was that I was inherently evil, that the shame I carried that I deserved, and that there was no place for me mm-hmm. on this earth. I attempted a very serious suicide, and I I went to an oat field in 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 Kansas, and they did crop rotations. I should not have been found for three years. It was. Really important to me that I not leave a tremendous mess for someone. And I had this whole vision that my body would uh, be eaten by the animals. And somehow to me, that was a great comfort that I was going to become part of the earth. I would be the sustenance for other animals. So I took a bottle of Secondol and straight edge razor and went out to the oat fields in the middle of the winter. And everything came together in just the right moment. There were two young men, joyriding, who had stolen a car, saw my feet sticking out in one of the rows, picked me up, put me in the back seat of the car. Their intention was to rape me. The young man that was the uh, passenger pleaded with the driver. He said, no, her blood's all over the car. Man, you can't, you can't do this. This is going to be murder. If she dies in the car, you can't, and convinced him to take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. They dropped my body in the parking lot of Stormont Vale, and directly behind them, a and an ambulance pulled in. And all the timing had to be absolutely perfect. The surgeon the next morning who had stitched up my wrist and uh, pumped my stomach told me that I was an active God. And I was this incredibly angry child who didn't believe there was the possibility of a God in the world. And I suddenly understood that I could not die Mm -hmm. until my time, I was stuck on this earth. (laughs) And 10 years, I lived a suicidal life. And then I met this amazing man who really had some very different ideas about life. And he was introducing some new therapies that had not really ever, they'd never been seen in the Midwest before.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: One of the things that he introduced me to was that story of being in a trash can had been given to me by my adopted mother so that it would be, it was a painful story, that it was proof that I was so worthless that not even my biological mother wanted me. She had thrown me in a trash can. And Harold introduced me to a um, therapy called reframing. And reframing is, is exactly what they do in a production house, in a movie production house. The uh, technician sits and he watches the movie frame by frame by frame, and there's a story and a message that he's given. And as he looks at all the different frames, what he does is he cuts out whatever doesn't support the story and the message that that movie is is supposed to be given. And so he entered, he invited me to study Korea, and its climate and its social, uh, what the society was like at the time that I was found. And one of the things that he told me was, he said in life, when we cannot prove facts, one of the very best things that we can do is reframe whatever story that we're telling ourselves so that it is one that serves us. And he said, the story that you have that you were thrown in a trash can and that your biological mother thought you were so worthless that she threw you away does not serve you. So I'm inviting you in your research to start looking for a story that's different than the one you're carrying right now. What I discovered was, is that Seoul, Korea is on the very same meridian as Topeka, Kansas. I was found the 20th of December in 1956. So that meant the winter there was identical to what winter was like in the Midwest. (laughs) The day that I was found, it was 15 degrees below zero. Wow. There was a horrific snowstorm. Had I not been inside of that trash can, I wouldn't have survived five minutes in the elements. It was also socially acceptable for a young woman who had a half-caste child, which I am. There's a natural curl to my hair. There's not an Asian born that has a natural curl to my <laughs> hair. I'm half of something else. yes. It was socially acceptable for a young mother, especially if it was her firstborn, was a female and half caste. it was completely acceptable for her to drown her baby in the main river, in the main river that ran through Seoul, Korea. Wow. Somehow my mother went against society to keep me alive for over a year. They weren't certain exactly how old I was when they found me because malnutrition was so extreme that the prediction was that I wouldn't survive the night. But she had kept me alive somehow. And more than likely, she was probably very young because that was how many of the young women in Korea at that time survived. It was just right after the the Second World War. And many of them survived because of the charity of the American soldiers that were there while they were stationed there. And then they left behind young women with babies who had no way to survive life. So somehow she had gone through all that she had gone through to keep me alive for over a year and then did the ultimate sacrifice of a mother who truly loves her child. She gave me up in the hope that I could have a life that would allow me to thrive and be okay. And to adopt that story versus the one that I was so worthless that she threw me in a trash can was the beginning of me seeing life from a, a very different perspective. I then got the privilege of working with a lady who followed the uh, practices of a woman called Shanti Gawain. And the work that she did was my introduction to inner child work. And it was one of the very amazing things for me to discover that there was, that there was hope for this incredible pain that I lived with, that there was a possibility that I too one day could be able to be free, that I could wake up in the morning and be happy to be alive. My shame was so intense that I couldn't walk into a room and I couldn't meet your eyes because I knew that if you looked into my eyes long enough, you would be able to see the amazingly worthless human being that I was. And I was terrified that anyone would ever know that I was the devil's spawn and that I was this absolutely worthless human being. I began inner child work and then someone introduced me, it was really many years later, introduced me to my very first experience of present moment consciousness. Later I got to uh, experience work with uh, a group that followed Eckhart Tolle and Eckhart Tolle became my mentor. It was, for me, an understanding. It was the first thing that really clicked for me because if I was going to have to always be married to this incredible, horrible feeling that existed within me, I there was no hope for happiness. There was no hope for freedom. And an understanding and being fully conscious in the present moment that nothing that had ever happened to me existed in that moment. That was my first taste of freedom, to then be able to understand that all of the damage that I carried with me, that it was just different aspects of my mind. It wasn't who I was, that I could separate from that damage. And the day that I was able to powerfully visualize seeing that separation, I worked with another therapy, which really... uh, was actually a, uh, a sports therapist who used strong visualization to, uh, to get his athletes to be able to see victory. Because one of the things that he said, he says, the moment that you can see victory is the moment that you can step into it and imitate it. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that I really understood and learned success was on a pool table. <laughs> I had a coach who would tell me, see the ball make it into the center of that pocket, and do not shoot the ball until you can see the trajectory of your ball, making it to the center of your object pocket. All of this is what I brought together to finally discover a pathway and a key that gave me freedom. And that is my inner children They were all birthed so that I could survive. There was nothing wrong with them. They didn't need fixing. There was nothing bad about them. They all got created so that I could survive. They They loyally showed up and fiercely defended me. They created all these defense mechanisms, and it was all about me surviving. And it was brilliant from a child's perspective. It just didn't work for me as the adult female. But because I wasn't aware of all the defense mechanisms that kicked in automatically the moment a trigger happened out here in the, in, in the present moment, something would remind me of the abandonment, of the abuse, of, of victimization, and I would cease to be in the present moment. It would be one tiny trigger out here, and immediately my children showed up, and they kicked into high gear, and they said, we know what to do about this my angry child would show up and say, we know how to make people go away. And my angry child would create this just enormous rage. And it worked for so many. Most people wanted to vacate the room when my angry child showed up. So how brilliant from a child's perspective, I can make adults go away. The people who absolutely created this horror in my life, I can make them go away. And all I have to do is create chaos and anger and violence, and they will go away. But it didn't serve me for the life that I was supposed to have. All of these different children would show up, the children who knew how to seduce, the children who knew how to victimize themselves, the children who knew how to lie, the children who knew how to manipulate, all of these children would show up at different points in my life to enable me to be okay. And the day that I understood that there was nothing wrong with these babies, I didn't have to be ashamed anymore. They were there. They were brilliant and wonderful. And they simply needed to be loved. They needed to have what it was that I had never had, was a nurturing caretaker who would never abandon them. And that's when I met the capable, unencumbered adult woman that I am today. I am that mother that they never had. I am that fierce mother that will never allow them to ever hurt in that fashion again. I am that mother who is always there. And when they show up and they're terrified and they're scared, I am the mother who says, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Sorry, I got this. You can count on me. I will never leave you.
1: I could not agree more with you. You just explained like a whole year's worth of my own transformation. (laughs) I'm so related and I really, I want to bring it in for our listeners because I'm with you. I hear you loud and clear. I met about three ages of my inner children. I'm like, oh, come here, babe. Come here, I see you <laughs> hurting and mad and throwing temper tantrums. Come here. And I call that, I heard you loud and clear. So I'd love to break this down for our listeners, though, because this, it took me about a year into, um, I had to do some healing work first, some allowed to be angry, some learning to say I'm not feeling okay, the, like the different steps that led up to actually meeting those inner children. And, you know, for our listeners, I know I have people on all ends of the spectrum. And so, when we're like, some people think that's them. We still think that's us as adults. Like when we're pissed off or blaming or shaming or judging, or like, I love how you guys, you said, I can make adults go away. Like, and we think that's us. And we fight with our friends. We fight with our family. We fight with coworkers and bosses or people, other authority. But I just want to start by drawing the, the, or like distinguishing the difference that those are not us as adults it's no and so how do how would someone kind of just starting this process discover their inner children
2: mine began i really the three principles that i work with is inner child work strong visualization and present moment consciousness yes and there is an exercise that I do, which is about bringing yourself fully present. Okay. And it's really simple. It really, and it's done in this, you you do it exactly as I'm going to do it. And it has to do with the way the mind processes information. So you look to your left and you pick something in your environment and say, to my left, I see the letter N. In front of me, I see a photograph. To my right, I see a cabinet. And then you check your gut and your gut is going to tell you When you're present, Um, when you begin this, generally what you're going to feel is that angst. You're going to feel that roiling that happens in your gut when when, when emotional trauma is present. When one of your kids are present, your gut's going to be completely upset. And then you open your eyes and you say, to my left, I see a frame. In front of me, I see a tree. To my right, I see a plant. And you close your eyes and you check your gut again. And you do, once again, open your eyes. To my left, I see a couch. In front of me, see, I see an urn. To my right, I see a vase. Mm-hmm. And you check your gut again. And you do it in sets of three. And each time you do it, you're going to feel a calming in mm-hmm. your gut. Because the more present you become, the more distant you are and the beginning of separation that you have from your inner children. And then with that, the next step was, was a visualization where I literally, I created a safe room. And the safe room has this really um, intricate path to get to. And it's created because the only person that can go there is me. And I don't care who I'm working with, what therapist, I don't care who it is. There is no one that can go there except for me. And that's the place where I go and it's completely decked out with everything that I would put in a room that makes me happy and puts me at peace. And so my room, I go through a forest and I enter a tree and I go through an underground passageway and come to a a, a huge tree with a door that's in the center of it. And when that door opens, it opens to this incredible room that has a fireplace and has just amazingly beautiful things and there are are animals everywhere and there's just all these things that I just relate to and absolutely love. And when I go in and I sit down in this chair that gives me a hug, when I sit in it, I am completely at peace and totally safe. Yeah. And that is when I then invite my children to come and join me. And I sat in that room many, many days before I could visually see my children. Mm hmm but the very first time that I made an invite, my children would start showing up one by one. The child that was the very last child to appear was a child that actually had no face. She had no eyes. She had no mouth. She had no face. And all she did was cry. And she was the very last child to show up. Each one of my children, and I have male children. I, I, I have a uh, very mm-hmm. defiant male child yeah i have a child who lies about everything Mm -hmm. i uh, have a child who's just a master manipulator that uh, is the great observer of life and she just gets what it is that people want to hear and that's what she delivers and so all these different children showed up for me and so for me the exercise began in present moment becoming fully present And in that present moment, being able was another exercise that I created that in that present moment, the moment I feel that peace in my gut, I close my eyes and I see water to my left and it's seven inches of water that just flows alongside of me. And I stand and I ask whoever it is that's present to show themselves And whatever trauma I'm going through, there will be a child that has shown up to handle that trauma. And when I can see that child standing on the other side of the water, I will reach out across the water and I will take that child's hand and I will feel that trauma as if it were absolutely present, as if it were real. And then I see myself let go of the child's hand and I feel the trauma completely recede. And I know in that moment that there is a separation between me and my damaged inner children and that where I'm at in this present moment, that none of that trauma and none of that damage, none of it is there with me. It is only there if I choose to bring it forward. Mm -hmm. So today, and, and that nothing that I do is about suppression. Nothing is about, it never goes away. There is no getting rid of, there's no control. Control is this word that's like taking a bottle of soda, shaking it up as hard as you can shake it, and then taking the cap and jamming it down on the top of it. And for a while you can control that soda, but not for long. Pretty soon the pressure will become so great and it'll explode all over. And that's what happened for me. With much of my life, I would just emotionally throw up on the world around because I was constantly trying to control those emotions. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about control in the inner child. In the inner child work. It's about loving yourself. It's about giving yourself. What it is that you always needed, because what happens when we we live in life and why we live unfulfilled lives, and we constantly are in search and nothing that we have is never enough, is because we're trying to fill an internal need with an, an external solution, and that will never work. Yeah, what we have to be able to do is we need to know what those needs are, and we need to be able to fill those needs for ourselves, and the moment. The moment that we can be that mother that we never had, the moment that we can be the father that we never had, the moment we can be that dependable, reliable adult Mm -hmm. and caretaker that we never had, that's the day that we can be at peace. Mm -hmm. Because now we can quit being afraid. There is someone who's going to look out for us. There is someone that we can count on. And more than anything, we don't have to worry about being abandoned anymore. Yeah,
1: I would love to just jump in right there with you because I I do I do a lot of that work with my clients, the inner child work. I you know especially meeting um, you know some some adolescent, high school, college age versions of us as well. I love going that far up. I I invite my a lot of my clients. I go just meet those different identities and put them at a round table you know something of that sort and i'm so present to that work and the distinction i like to call it is you becoming your own loving parent and so for those of you who are listening and this is really making sense or if it's not it's okay because you may have not distinguished that you are not all of those things yet you are not all of those old identities and It may be showing up just as an emotion. When you're triggered so quickly and then all of a sudden you're automatically acting out of anger or frustration or sadness or feeling misunderstood, it's time to start getting curious about yourself. It's time to start getting curious about your reactions and actions and what is really going on because it's very likely that as Sasha's sharing is that this is an inner child running the show right now, or it's a younger identity running the show right now. And when you can become your own loving parent, because Sasha, I love how you segued into that next natural piece. You become your own loving parent. And by way of that, those children are taken care of, and so now you, number one, you get to meet you for you now. I, i so many clients I'm working with, I'm like, who are you as this? Like I am right now, I'm a 29 year old woman, right? Who is single living in Gilbert, Arizona. Like that's the reality. And I love how you said, cause I call it grounding or something of that sort. Here's the facts. Here's what's actually happening right now. You know, it's this degrees outside, it's Saturday, it's happening, or Friday. <laughs> but, the, but the facts, what are the facts right now, not the story? Yes. Being, being able to come home, come into your body, your actual physical body. I've got two hands. I've got a functioning ability to hear and taste and smell. Those are facts. Removing the story and then meeting those at, so separated as like, oh, you can actually see them as if they were children walking through your front door, not an an actual extension with a string tied to your heart. And so being able to separate that and then meet all of them and meet their skills, as you said, the master manipulator. For me, I'm so good at the temper tantrums to make people go away. (laughs) And so, but they don't serve us. And I want to make that point for our listeners so strongly because they're there and they are as permanent as can be. They will always show back up. That does not mean they have to run your life at the age that you are. You can choose your life. So when you're able to separate yourself meet yourself, and then meet your needs because that's really what's going on. What need do I have right now? If I'm triggered, something I need something. I need to feel heard. Great. Let me pick up the phone and feel heard. Or let me stand in front of the mirror and hear, feel heard. So I love what you're saying because it just completely shifted into that next natural step. Meet your own needs now, I wanted to stop you there because I work with so many people, or if I'm like kind of just helping someone out through a complaint or a tough time is that they want it from someone else. they want to be understood or appreciated by others, but mm-hmm. they won't do that work for themselves because you know my the, one of that the complaints there is like, well, okay, I like myself but I want other people to like me. That's the gap. Go ahead. Share what you know about that because that's an intentional shift that needs to happen to choose to be your own significant other to say.
2: (laughs) Well, the thing that happens for so many children is they learn early on that they're not understood, Mm -hmm. that they're not heard, Mm -hmm. that they're insignificant. Mm -hmm. So when that need to be recognized shows up for me, I know that it was the child that went to adults and said, sexual abuse is happening. And those adults said to me, oh, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're just making this up. I I don't know why you would make up such a horrible story. And so for me, my child learned that I was never going to be seen or heard. And so as an adult, I just would jump up and down. And I was this person that... Um, That I was life at the party. I was the loudest person in the room I was the most outrageous person in the room and I really didn't even understand. It was so that please see me Please see me. Please hear me Please believe me when I recognized that this was about the trauma that I lived and I had the separation, then I hear my children. I sit with them and I say, baby, come here. Come here, let me hold you. I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you're hurting. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that you've showed up for me. But you should never have had this job of taking care of me. It should never have been your responsibility. And baby, I'm here for you now. I'm here, I was not awake for a long time, but I'm here for you now. You tell me whatever it is that needs to be said, I will hear, I will listen, and I will believe you. And a peace and a calm happens for me. And so now, I don't need that acknowledgement of everyone else. I don't, when I do whatever it is I do, it's because I choose to do it. One of the things that uh, that I've written about often, and that is whoever we pretend to be, that's who we are. We cannot assume a personality that's not within our tool chips. It, it's just not. It's like saying you're going to now be non-human. You have the of what it's like not to be human. So you're not going to choose a personality that's not going to be human. So whoever we pretend to be, that's who we are. So I'm a caregiver. I'm a nurturer. I'm a giving person, I am generous, I, I, I love the world, I'm accepting, I have faith, I have trust. That's who I am naturally. But when I have to use those things in order to make myself worthy, that's when they become to my, that's when I victimize myself. Now I give more than everyone else does, not because I choose to but because that's the only thing that makes me worth staying in that room. If I don't do more than everybody else, then I'm not good enough. And you won't keep me in your life and, and and you won't value me because I'm not good enough. When I am able to do that child and let her know you are enough because you breathe. Now, when I make cookies for a meeting, it's because that's what I choose to do. you buy someone a gift that's because that's what I choose to do when I give free time that's what I decide to do and there's empowerment in choice but we will always use as our tools whatever it is that we are so if we pretend like we're a really good human being that's who we are and it's Only when we can't choose to be that, when it becomes this thing that we have to do in order to be acceptable, that it's a problem. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just understanding that we have a need inside that needs to be met, that we have a child that we need to be able to nurture and say, you're enough because you showed up. If you don't do another thing in this moment, it is perfectly okay because you live and breathe. My world is a better place.
1: I love it. I love it so much because I really want this. Like, if I can have everyone in the world understand <laughs> that you just explained, I would do the same things, and when they come from a different source, It is authentic or it's not authentic. Whoever you're pretending to be is who you are. And when you choose that from that's just who I am and I'm allowed to be that, then that is. When you're serving from a full cup or a full plate, it's genuine. It's authentic. You mean it. And then there's the side that comes from validation where, please validate me, please affirm me and approve of me. And it's the same actions. You make the cookies, you clean up, you gift, we serve. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that you brought this because I'm always saying it's not about what you do, it's who you be. But this is such a let me validate you. <laughs> this is such a, an affirming like conversation because I just have such a commitment that people understand you don't have, your life doesn't have to become incredibly different, right? It, it, the thing about it, I, I, one of my favorite clients, her life looked exactly the same and she became incredibly unleashed, incredibly grateful then she decided to um later she wanted to start a a something an idea she had but it came from a really rich and authentic and genuine place her life just flourished her relationships flourished her mothership flourished her business flourished because she came from somewhere new yes what how like share oh my gosh I'm just so grateful but I'm gonna hand it over to you (laughs) what um What sort of differences have you seen with other people that you're working with, like where this is true, this transition that you get, when you can turn off needing validation externally, and you can just simply validate yourself that you are worthy, you're whole, you're complete, what sort of transformations have you seen?
2: I um, work with a lot of couples, and with the women who come from my generation and, and older, Oftentimes they lived their entire life being martyrs. They did nothing for themselves. They lived their entire lives for their family. And then all of a sudden they find themselves with grown children, gone away to college, a husband who's now in retirement, and they're miserable because they have no one to live for. In the conversations that we have what they discover is that they never gave themselves permission to live for themselves. Everything that they do and everything that they are, it always, whenever we're doing anything from a have to, that's when it comes from trauma. When we're doing everything by powerfully choosing, that's when we're present in the moment. And that's when we have a life that, that, that is who we're supposed to be. So when you have this woman that she waited on her entire family, her whole life, she did everything for them. The, the house was spotless. Everything they needed was there. She organized, she planned, she created. And now all of a sudden she's left with no one to do that for. And what We'll end up in is a conversation, which interestingly, some of the women arrive at a place where they think they want to be divorced. And I worked with a couple, which is exactly where they were. They had raised their children. Um, It was actually a very interesting thing. Uh, Infidelity happened about a year after they had gotten married, but they realized that they had this empire that the two of them, they saw a light vision and there were things that they wanted to accomplish in life and they were really good partners And so they decided to stay in a marriage, not because it was going to be a marriage any longer, but because it was going to be this incredible partnership. And that's what they were. They built a financially dynamic empire. They raised four amazing children. They live extremely well. And the last child went off to college, and now the two of them are getting ready to walk away. I had worked with uh, his brother and and their family. And he said, I'm going to ask you before you decide to get a divorce, spend an hour with Sasha and see if there's any perspective she can give you on this. Because they were each other's best friend. Uh, They were two brothers and their wives were best friends. They were best friends. And a divorce was just going to mess everything up. So (laughs) my client really wanted his, his life not to be messed up. And he said, I'll pay for your first. And they lived in California and they actually flew out here and they spent three months with me. What I heard in the very first session was undeclared love. Both of them had lived 35 years in a marriage and they had loved each other, but they had been afraid to tell each other that they were the one that loved the other one because they thought they had just both decided that they weren't in love. There was nothing about this that was going to be a love relationship. This was about an empire building. And they didn't want to be the one to give it up and say, I love you. I really, truly love you, to be that vulnerable one. And so when I heard that, because I listened to how they talked about each other and how they met and who they had been, and I heard the admiration that they had for one another. And in that moment, I turned to him and I said, you're very much in love with your wife, aren't you? He goes, I've always loved her. And if I could go back to that day and change that one action, I would have done that. And then the amazing thing is I turned to her and I said, now, surprise your husband. You're very much in love with him, aren't you? And she was just like shocked. And I said, let's be real in this moment. You've got nothing to lose. You're getting ready to call it done and get divorced. So what do you have to lose by being honest and vulnerable in this particular moment? And she broke down and she started crying and she goes, I have loved him my entire life. All of a sudden now, these are two people who can very authentically be who they want to be with one another. Nothing's going to change in their life. They're going to be these dynamic human beings that they've always been, but they've been pretending to do it from a story. When we are able to separate from the stories, I this one I just wanna share with you because it's just perfect for this moment. In the very beginning of my therapy, I had a therapist and that's what we talked about, is the, the, the stories that we create and live into. So she had what she called um, safe parties. She worked with children that came from abuse backgrounds. And what happens with children that come out of sexual abuse is they don't learn socialization skills well. They generally tend to be too affectionate. They tend to be too trusting. They, because they've learned that their boundaries that should be breached. And so she actually had these parties so that, so that these kids could start learning how to be adults and how to be socially okay as adults. And so at her safe party, What your instructions were is that whatever you experienced emotionally, that you made notes of those. And then we talked about them in group. And so one of the things that that, that I always had was all this story about how people, um, I grew up in the Midwest and there was a lot of prejudice there. And that was real. There truly was. But I automatically wrote the story that everyone hated me. Everyone disliked me. There was some reason why when you met me, you would just completely and totally dislike me. And so that's what I did is I, went to one of the safe parties, and there was a lady, and uh, I wrote my entire story, and um, when I shared it with the group, I said, you know, I saw see me across the room, and I knew the moment she looked at me, that one look at my face, she was a, a, a white woman, and I, I, was, I know that she took one look at me and decided I did not belong at this party, that it was only for white people, there was no reason, I was too young, that uh, nothing about me had any class, and I had this entire story of what she thought about me, and as she approached, i wanted to say something to her but she completely dodged me and pretended like she had to go into the bathroom and even when i went in the bathroom she was completely uncomfortable wouldn't read my eyes and refused to talk to me so my therapist also worked with reframing she goes i'm going to propose an alternate story what if she had bad (laughs) gas She goes, imagine what her expression would be like if she suddenly knew that she was entering a room full of people and that she had to fart worse than she's ever farted in her entire life. She goes, what would her expression look like? And she goes, and as you got close to her and were blocking her pathway to the restroom where she could, you know, fart without having the embarrassment, what do you think her expression would be like with you preventing her from entering the bathroom to let go of this big gas ball (laughs) killing her. And then when you follow her into the bathroom, and then once again, she doesn't really want to have this loud, explosive fart with you standing there. What do you think her actions and what do you think her expression would be like? And the entire group is cracking up laughing because yes, that story absolutely could apply To the very same one that I had written this whole story about how she didn't like me. She thought this about me. She thought that about me. She goes, so from this day forward, what I'm going to offer to you is every time you see someone that you think has a bad opinion of you, remind yourself they probably just have to fart. It was a power tool from that day (laughs) forward. Seriously. Every time I'd start writing the story about someone having a negative, I could hear her in the background laughing, going, they just have to fart.
1: (sighs) And I love it. I love it because this is, it's a great thing. Let's send our listeners off with this tool is like switch that internal dialogue. If, um, have you ever heard that quote was like, you'd be surprised what people are thinking about you. Or the fact that they're not thinking about you at all. (laughs) Get over it. Get over yourself. Like, I'm great at it. Good, guys. Hey, number one, I am great at taking everything personal. So I'm with you. They don't like me. They think I'm too loud. I'm, they're too loud. Like, it goes on and on and on, right? And it is that you are projecting your insecurity, outside of you onto other people and
2: like catch yourself and make up a fart joke. Like, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Final thing because it was just the, it was really kind of the dovetail to this. Yeah. I'm a Landmark graduate as well. Yes. And there is uh, for those who've never done Landmark, the, the final evening of your graduation um, is where you invite friends and family uh, to come in and, 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 and learn about what Landmark has to offer. And there was a, a young, brash kid that just absolutely became my best friend. He's still my friend today. And his best friend, Sharky, was just this brass Italian I mean, he was young, and there was no reason we should have ever ended up friends, but he just liked me and decided that we were buddies. And he told me that his best friend was showing up for uh, the, um, I guess it's Tuesday night. Yeah. I don't remember it I think it's Tuesday night, and that it was really important to him. He goes, "The only person I want to talk to him is you." He said, "Because he will, he will be completely turned off by everybody else's approach." And he said, "But I know that he will enjoy talking to you." And I saw this young man across the room, and I said, "Oh my God! Here is an arrogant young man that thinks there's only one value to women." And that's women that he can have sex with. And he really has zero respect for women. He is absolutely not going to want to hear a single thing I have to say. And this is a complete waste of my time. And then Sharky comes along and he goes, that's my friend Zoe. He goes, please, if you would, make sure, would you be the person to go over and talk to him? And then I remembered reframing and all about the story. So I said, well, okay, it's just as easy for me to write the story that this is a young man who can barely contain himself. And that whatever it is that I have to say to him, he is going to be listening, impressed, and I'm going to touch his heart in a way that it's never been touched before. And what I'm going to be able to do is I'm going to be able to make a difference in his life. And moving from that come from versus the one that he was an arrogant young man that would hear nothing that I'd have to say, yeah, walked up to him and he said, oh, "Look, you know, I know you got this whole cell thing you got to do for landmark, wasted on me." And I said, "Absolutely, it would be wasted on you." I said, "I just happened to be Sharkey's friend, Sasha, and he really wanted you and I to meet." And our conversation turned out today's old is somebody who has absolute complete respect for me as a human being Mm -hmm. and considers me to be one of the most amazing women that he has ever met. That would never have happened if I hadn't changed my come from. Yes. That I chose to have with him. Amen. Create, we create whatever it is that we believe to be truth. And so he very well may have been the arrogant young man, which he is Mm -hmm. who doesn't have too awful. He doesn't have a lot of respect for most women and that was true and that was real but if that was my focus nothing positive would have come from that come from but the moment that i say that who i am is someone that's going to make a difference in the world and i am going to make a difference for this young man now i'm a powerful woman and from there everything is possible
1: Yes. I love that. And I love that term because I think it's very applicable and very like someone could pick that up right now. Where are you coming from? Because I notice for myself, there's a breakdown where I come from the belief this isn't going to work out. Yes. Constantly, constantly. I, no matter how transformed, right? <laughs> I get to this point where I am coming from uh, if it's not going to work out, and you know what I find, a bunch of evidence for it to not work out. So <laughs> I have to be very responsible for that. Come from, and I come from. I am someone who can create anything. I am powerful. I am full of love. I am. I am love. Come from love. Come from discovery. Come from expansion and understanding and listening. Who knows what you will find? In fact, you become unattached from what you will find. And I love that so much. And so I think it's like, thank you so much, Sasha, for bringing all of these amazing insights, for bringing your very unique and yet probably very relatable story. And I appreciate that you're willing to share so much of that because at some point I can bet any of our listeners related to something that you've gone through. And so thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being in growing gratitude. I love you there. And oh, I'm so grateful to bring a face and a voice. (laughs) It's so wonderful. So who you are is just raw and authentic and, and powerful, so powerful and so blissful over there. So thank you for being you.
2: Well, I thank you, Abigail. Life is just uh, an incredibly wonderful journey and that I have been called forth to be a light bringer and to be someone who introduces joy. No (laughs) honor could be greater than that.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for bringing your open hearts to this show. We are turning dreamers into doers every day. And so if you are ready to work with or meet Sasha, please go check her out. Where can we follow you?
2: The simplest place to find me now is uh, you can send me an email, Sasha at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Sasha. Uh, is my Facebook page as well. You can also find me by my name, which is Sasha Fregoni. And you can call uh,
1: 623-255-4399. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Hearts, if you're ready to meet all those inner children you got, you're ready to declare some undeclared love, you better go visit Sasha and hang out with her for a little while. Maybe three months later and you'll be free.
2: You know what? We'll all sit and fart
1: together. Yeah, I'll join you. Give me a call that day. (laughs) You guys, thank you. I love you. Have an amazing day and amazing life.
0: Today's Hearts Unleashed podcast is brought to you by Palmsy, a super comfy sock company committed to sharing your message straight from your heart right through the bottom of your feet. Your host, Abigail Gazda, and Palmsy have joined forces to bring you the Hearts Unleashed collection filled with inspiring socks and mugs. Sip your inspiration out of the new mug and come cozy up with us as you tune in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. You can also give the gift of motivation to your loved ones by grabbing their next new favorite pair of socks at Palmsey on Etsy. Thank you for joining us on this journey where we are achieving our dreams one step at a time. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you loved the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, head over to heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.